You are listening to the Spectral Skull Session, tales from the twilight world of myth, mystery, and imagination. The idea behind this podcast is that we explore claims about the occult, supernatural, and paranormal from an analytical standpoint. We're open to the existence of a world beyond the five senses, and we dismiss that dogmatic skepticism that insists that any story about the unexplained has to reduce to hallucinations or swamp gas. But we're not committed to any particular theory or philosophy about what the paranormal is, and we realize that whatever is out there, the answer is likely to be more complicated than any existing model or theory. What we bring to the table is small s skepticism, a skepticism that we throw as much on the mainstream accounts as we do on the supernatural story. Okay, let's get started. Good morning, good evening, wherever you may be across the nation or around the world. This is the Spectral Skull Session, and I am your host, Dane. Welcome back. It is March 14th as I record this. The conclusion to the DMT series has been delayed again. As I was doing research, I stumbled on something that blew the case wide open. Uh, A link between DMT epiphanies and the Old Testament, the Tanakh. And I said, holy, wow, this is something that definitely needs to be in that final DMT episode. So that requires a whole nother book. So it's going to be worth it. I've got a preliminary answer to my question. Why do some people take DMT entities to be real? And uh, I'm very happy with it. And so it's just a matter of putting it all together and producing it. It's going to be a great episode. So I hope look for that next week. But I I do have this habit of pushing back the deep research episodes um, just when I just haven't had the time to sit down and like do the research and then write it up. So I don't want to I don't want those episodes to be half baked. I want those to be really tight. So look for it next week and it's going to be amazing. And if you just hang on and eventually I'll label it, I'll label it DMT part three. And so you'll know what it is. You'll be able to find it. And we have a correction from last week. Last week, I was talking about Moldova, and I said that most Moldovans have left the country and live somewhere else in Europe, and I was wrong about that. It's only a third of Moldovans. Well, somewhere between 25% and 33%, according to different sources. Uh, Thank you to all the Moldovans who wrote me angry emails saying, hey, we're still here in Moldova. Um, good luck to all of you guys, too, out there in Moldova. I heard they just thwarted a uh, attempt by the Russians to overthrow the government. So congratulations and my apologies to the people of Moldova. Moving on. Major stories today. Scientific discoveries and new allegations about UFOs have Americans and Britons excited. So first story, March 8th, British scientists were reporting they may have discovered superconducting material that could revolutionize energy, and electronic systems. Researchers based in Britain are saying they've created a superconducting material that works at both a temperature and a pressure low enough to actually use it in practical situations. Now, superconductivity is a phenomena when you lower a conducting material like a metal to a low enough temperature, it offers almost no resistance to electric voltage which allows you to move electricity very large distances. But they say they found a way to do superconductivity without keeping your materials super cold. 
pathway to superconducting consumer electronics and energy transfer lines, transportation, and significant improvements of magnetic confinement for fusion are now a reality, Professor Diaz said in a statement. We believe we are now at the modern superconducting era. Their research is being published in the top peer-reviewed journal Nature, an article titled Evidence of Near Ambient Superconductivity in an N-Doped Lutrium Hydride. So they're saying that they took a rare earth metal called lutetium and they mixed it with hydrogen and nitrogen. They then allowed those three things to react for two to three days at high temperatures. Then they got a compound that was sort of a blue color. Then they compressed it at a very high temperature and it turned from blue to pink. And when it turned pink, it developed this superconducting or near superconducting property. It did require compression and heating, compression pretty intense, 145,000 PSI. For comparison, the PSI at the bottom of the Mariana Trench in the Atlantic Ocean is only 16,000. So substantially more pressure than at the bottom of the ocean, but it's still something that can be done commercially fairly easily. And it results in this metal that has all these properties that are particularly useful in commercial and scientific engineering applications. And so in keeping with the bright red color of the final product, they've named it Red Matter. As a nod to a material from Star Trek, the next generation, I believe red matter was something the Klingons developed, and it was like a bomb that could destroy a star, or maybe it traveled through time. Now, my first thought was that this would lower the costs of uh, electric trains. Of course, lowering the cost of energy transmission is always good. And then the implications for fusion, I don't think people have thought about. When they say it has implications for nuclear fusion because it could improve containment, as I understand it, again, they're saying it's going to make it a lot easier to make super powerful electromagnetic fields and sustain those fields without costly electroelectric input. Because nuclear fusion, at least all the ways that they're trying to do fusion right now, they try to superheat plasma and keep it in kind of bottled up and whirl it around in a circle while they heat it. And the problem is that the plasma, it is so hot that it can't touch anything. There's nothing that could contain it. So you use magnets to hold the plasma in place and force it to move in the circle while you heat it. Um, and so you have to have very, very powerful electromagnets. I imagine this will also lower the cost of uh, using an MRI machine. Anyway, there's no getting around that this is incredibly good news. And it links back to the world of UFOs. For those of us who followed the alleged UFO whistleblower Bob Lazar, alleged to have worked at Area 51, he always maintained that UFOs fly using some kind of technology that has to do with electromagnetism. And I always thought, man, that's lame. Like, we already know how electromagnets work. It's very hard for me to imagine an alien spacecraft that's powered by magnets. You know, because I normally think of magnets as inducing propulsion, only, you know, you got two magnets you know, I got the positive end of one magnet, the positive end of another magnet, and you hold the one magnet up to the other one, you can push it away, right? It'll move, and it, it's kind of like a, can have a parlor trick-like appearance to it. You can put a magnet underneath a table, and you can move a piece of metal around, and that has a sort of, like, a mystical feel to somebody who doesn't know what's going on. But 
there's really nothing very high tech about it. Now, the other day I was thinking about, it was about yesterday, I was thinking about this, uh, this paper, this research that came out, and I was thinking about UFOs, and I was actually out in the woods, and I had a vision for how you could combine electromagnetism to create propulsion for a spaceship. Um, and so the idea that I had here was, again, take two magnets. They're both positively charged, right? Could be both negatively charged. Doesn't matter. What matters is they have the same charge. One of them is your plate. That's going to be the back of your ship, like where normally the engine would be. You've got a charged positive plate. Then you've got a pellet. You could have many pellets. Imagine you have one pellet and it's positively charged. If you put it in the back of the plate, right, the plate will push it away and that will cause your ship to move in the opposite direction, very much like exhaust coming out of a rocket ship, right? The rocket ship, its engine ignites, exhaust comes out the back, and the ship goes in the opposite direction. So what if push that pellet, but then you had the ability to bend space so that you could force the pellet without the pellet's velocity changing from its perspective, you warp space so that the pellet, it thinks it's going in a straight line, but it ends up whirling around so that it's actually, again, now moving in the same direction as your rocket ship, and it impacts the plate again. But then it bounces off again, right? It goes in the opposite direction, pushing your ship. And then again, you just warp space, cause your pellet to flip around. So here is a way I imagined you could have like infinite motion using magnets. But again, here, the real gimmick would be the ability to bend space. That would be the real thing that makes your engine do what it does. The electromagnetism would just be the one part that we actually understand. Maybe that's why Bob Lazar thinks that that's how alien engines work, because the only part of the engine that was within his wheelhouse was the magnet part. He doesn't understand the other parts. So that's possible. Now, aliens have been all over the news in March so far. So just uh, last week, Joe Rogan, he's America's top podcaster. He opened up a, uh, a new comedy club down in Austin called The Mothership with the slogan, Hecklers will be alienated. The Mothership has all UFO and alien themes. And the main rooms in which people will sort of appear to do their comedy they're named after elements of UFO folklore. So Little Boy and Fat Man are the names of the two performance rooms. And Rogan said he named the rooms that because of the UFO folklore, that it was the use of atomic bombs that brought aliens to our planet. So Fat Man and Little Boy are, are known to be the names of the atomic bombs that were dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. But the idea is that... the Using atomic bombs for the first time is what attracted aliens to our planet. I've covered this myth before in the episode I did on Jack Parsons, where I looked into this and, you know, the, the atomic bomb was used about a year before Kenneth Arnold had his famous um, UFO sighting over Mount Rainier. And uh, the Roswell crash was 1947, but the first atomic bomb was 1945. So there's two years between those two. So I don't really see... A real close connection between the use of the atomic bomb and the arrival of aliens. Um, but he's absolutely right. It's part of UFO mythology in the United States. I'm drunk and I'm on mushrooms in my new club. This is as high as I've ever been on stage, Rogan said. So that sounds like a Joe Rogan thing to say. Drunk and on mushrooms. Wow. 
Um, he also said that he aims to create a safe space for comedians to share their dark humor without the fear of being canceled. You can't fire me from my own club, bitch, exclaimed Rogan. <laughs> That's great. Uh, I love how cancel culture has created a world where now only rich, powerful white men have the freedom to say whatever they want. Good job, guys. Speaking of UFOs, American mythology, and powerful men, Congressman Tim Burchard recently told Newsweek, we have recovered a craft at some point and possible beans. I think that a lot of that's being reverse engineered right now, but we ju just don't understand it, he said. He also went on to tell Newsweek that too many people in the know have told him that we've had something to do with multiple UFOs crashing inside the United States and that we don't have the technology yet, but we're working on it. He said also, quote, I've talked to too many pilots, top, top pilots, our Navy pilots, the best pilots in the world that said this is what they've seen, end quote. So Tim Burchard, very confident that the United States is in possession of crashed UFOs but is unable to figure out how they work. I've looked into this, and Tim Burchard is not on any intelligence committees, so I doubt that he is privy to any inside knowledge beyond the sort of rumors that he hears talking to military people and intelligence people. But I would like to say there's a backstory here, which is that all through 2022, the stories about crashed saucers and materials being back-engineered by the United States have been reappearing, reemerging. And I think there's a reason for that. And that's because of this Wilson memo that has been going around. Now, I've talked about this before on the show briefly. The Wilson memo is a piece of UFO apocrypha that's been traced back to the astronaut Edgar Mitchell. After Edgar Mitchell died, they found in his estate a memo. And it's several pages, and it purports to have been written by Eric Davis, senior project engineer at the Aerospace Corporation down in Alabama. Now, he's a known UFO guy. He's been interested in UFOs, worked on UFO and paranormal-related projects all through his career. The memo describes—it's supposed to have been written by Eric Davis. It's supposed to be him— talking with U.S. military official Admiral Tom Wilson, and it's Tom Wilson relating to Eric Davis that he stumbled onto a black box UFO reverse engineering program that was at the highest levels of classification. It was so highly classified that when he wrote the program manager and said, I need to audit your program because that's currently my job inside the Pentagon is to audit programs and make sure that they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. The, the manager sent him an email back and said, you are not on the bigot list. That's a technical term for the list of people who have the need to know. And he said, well, I'm higher in rank than you. I'm an auditor. It's my job. And they said, no, you don't understand. We are so classified, you don't have the authority to come in and look at what we're doing. And supposedly he went back and forth with them for months and actually flew out to Nevada. I think it was Nevada. He flew out to the West Coast to meet with some of the managers on the team 
and try to argue them into giving him the authority to go through their program. And they told him, look, we're reverse engineering a UFO, but we're not going to tell you anything more. Then he went to the highest echelons of the Pentagon and said, I really need to do my job. You got to let me into this black box program. And they said, just drop it or we're going to debauch you a star and you're going to end your career one star less than you would have. And so he said, okay, fine. But so this memo has been floating around and it actually was mentioned in Congress, uh, one of the UFO hearings, a congression, a member of Congress actually asked for it to be entered into the record as an official, like part of congressional record. And um, how did it end up in Edgar Mitchell's house is the question I think people should be asking. Now, he was known to be very into UFOs and paranormal and um, like supernatural phenomena. He was really interested in that kind of stuff. But um, how did he get his hands on secret memo? Now, neither Wilson nor um, Davis will confirm that the memo is authentic. So, you know, make of that what you will. But they've been so excited about this and whatever else is going on in Congress. Back in July, they amended the amended the National Defense Authorization Act of 2022 to make it easier for prospective UFO whistleblowers to share what they know with Congress. They told whistleblowers, they wrote it into the law, that they would be released from any kind of... Um, you know, requirement to stay absolutely quiet about what they know forever, that they were released from that. In fact, they're obligated now to report it to the Pentagon. And of course, we have that aerospace, that uh, all domain anomaly resolution office that's supposed to be gathering all the famous UFO sightings and compiling them and analyzing them right now. And they just had an increase in their budget, another separate authorization by Congress. So it looks like people are really taking it seriously rummaging through all the old files and all the old programs and trying to figure out, can we find that crashed UFO or UFOs, right? Did we put it in a box somewhere and then put it into a warehouse, you know, like at the end of Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark? Um, Is that what happened to our UFOs? Nobody knows. Well, they're trying to figure it out, which is probably good. Now, the Nevada journalist George Knapp He's been pointing the finger in the direction of a military contractor called Radiance Technologies. They have offices all over the country, and they're known for having uh, a little base of operations inside Nellis Air Force Base, which is Area 51. And they also are said to have a base inside Wright-Patterson, which is also one of the places where it's thought that maybe one of these crashed UFOs got moved back in the 50s. Uh, So Knapp has been looking into Radiance Technologies, and he said, very interesting that recently they made a big show of hiring a high-ranking engineer onto their program, an engineer who they advertised he has UFO-related credentials. He's worked on UFO-related topics for the Pentagon before. They put that right on their website. So he went and he interviewed the president of Radiance Technologies and the CEO, not president. The CEO said, look, we work on directed energy weapons, hypersonic missiles, and cyber warfare, and I can't tell you anything more. And so uh, George Knapp says, I think those are the guys who have the uh, UFO and they're reverse engineering it. We have no idea whether this is true or not. I would think that if you actually have a reverse engineered UFO and you have a black box program that is so hush-hush that you are 
actually privileged to conceal it from high-ranking members of the Pentagon that you would not make a big show of hiring a UFO guy and actually put on your website, hey, we just hired a big UFO guy to work at our company. So I think that's one of those false flag or more likely not a false flag, but more likely Radiance Technologies is angling to get their hands on some of that UFO money that's now slushing around. And um, that's just how these defense contractors are. Every time there's a new line of work that's exciting, they try to make it seem like that's their wheelhouse. That's what they can do well. So if UFOs are hot with Congress and Congress is spending money on UFOs, the military contractors are going to start saying, oh, look, we do UFOs. We know all about that stuff. Give us your money. Now, one thing that I'd like to point to, the name Radiance Technologies rang a bell in my head. Do you guys remember, and I'm sure you don't, but I don't even remember this either. Back in the 90s, there was a bit of a hullabaloo about AT&T. They had a research subsidiary called Bell Laboratories, which was they did military contracting work. Bell Laboratories got spun off and renamed to Lucent Technologies. I think that was the 90s. I'm holding my source for this is um, a book by Robert Anton Wilson that was first published in uh, 1998. So yeah, it had to be back in the 90s. Anyway, there was a whole blue among the UFO and conspiracy and occult world because uh, a conspiracyologist named Tex Mars went public saying, Lucent Technologies, very suspicious name, sounds like it stands for Lucifer Enterprises, right? And uh, he pointed out that Lucent, their network operating system, so they had an in-house computer network that had its own operating system that they had named the Inferno, and their company had an office at 666 Fifth Avenue in New York City. So, I don't know, radiance, light, light bringing, sounds like Lucent or Lucifer. I think that these uh, some of these companies that do some of this uh, dark money stuff also give themselves creepy occult names to make them sound kind of mysterious. Um, a little bit of a nod and a wink to, um, hey, maybe we're into something that nobody knows exactly what it is, or maybe we're into things we shouldn't be. Shades of the Forbidden. But it's all just smoke and mirrors in order to get the money into their pockets. Now, here's a story that I'm actually more excited about. The head of this Arrow office at the Pentagon, Sean Kirkpatrick, he's director of the Pentagon's All-Domain Anomaly Resolution Office at this time. He co-published a research paper with Harvard astronomer A.V. Loeb saying, hey, it's very possible that there's an interstellar object in our solar system that's functioning as a mothership and supporting small alien probes that are coming and going on our planet doing research or whatever shenanigans they might be pulling. But uh, he and Navy Loeb sat down and sort of crunched the numbers on this stuff. What they came up with was that given our current ability to survey our own skies, we would not be able to detect a probe if it was smaller than one meter. So if it gets bigger than a meter and it obeys normal physics, which seems like a strong assumption to me, they said um, it would heat up as it enters the Earth's atmosphere and so it would be detectable. But um, they were saying it could be possible that these smaller probes are everywhere 
And of course, since they're smaller, how did they get here? Well, maybe they came on a mothership. And so one big ship came into our solar system possibly thousands of years ago, and then it has just been harvesting resources, combining sunlight from our sun with metals, maybe from the asteroid belt. Maybe it pulls nitrogen or other precious gases out of the gas giants. And then it sort of runs a little factory, like a 3D printer type deal. And it just prints out these probes. Possibly they're sort of throwaway probes. They come into our, our atmosphere. They come and they go. And maybe they do crash, you know, maybe they crash half the time. And uh, maybe we have to be recovered some of them. Now, they don't say anything about the probes crashing in their research paper. But their research paper is just establishing, given what we know about physics, it doesn't seem unreasonable that there could be a mothership in our solar system and there could be little probes coming and going from this mothership and uh, going unseen into our atmosphere, flying around. And so they, they sort of are just delineating what we might be looking for, rather. So we could be looking for a mothership, we could be looking for smaller probes. If there are aliens in our solar system and they are confined to our laws of physics as we know them, then this is what we should be looking for. Is what they're saying in that paper. I'm, I'm more excited about that than I am by all the black box shenanigans and the occult stuff um, in the U.S. military and intelligence community because I think all that stuff is probably a smokescreen, layers of smokescreen to conceal something. Who knows what it is? It might not have anything to do with UFOs. And they're going to definitely do everything they can to keep us in the dark. Whereas when the Pentagon's working with this uh, Harvard astronomer, and they're saying, here's what we think a UFO that follows our laws of physics would be would look like. Um, they're kind of advancing publicly accessible knowledge. This is science that we can all get involved in. Anyone could build a little machine to search for these one meter UFOs. We can all be using our, our telescopes and such to look for our mothership if it's out there. OK, so that's it. A lot of big news lately about scientific advances mysteries about aliens, possible alien probes in our solar system. Don't let the lack of definitive results in the search for extraterrestrial life get you down, because we are now on the verge of a superconductivity revolution. New technologies are right around the corner, and even if we don't find aliens, we may be the aliens before you know it. So hang on. Until next time, stay strange. Stay sane.